Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the Fly Pass podcast. This episode we're joined by Jeff Stillman, the treasurer of the RAF Hornchurch Heritage Centre. Hi Jeff, how are you doing? Hi James, not too bad, thank you. Excellent, well thank you for joining us. Anyone who listens to these podcasts will know that we've been slowly making our way around the museums and heritage centres of uh, former Battle of Britain airfields, and now we arrive at RAF Hornchurch. So maybe start with a little bit of detail about the Hornchurch itself. Yeah, sure. So many people may know that uh, RAF Hornchurch was a former Battle of Britain airfield. You may also know it was a sector station, so it covered the Hornchurch sector, just as famous as Biggin Hill, but we don't quite get the, uh, the fame, I guess. But it covered the Hornchurch sector, which was uh, South Essex and North Kent. And it included such stations as uh, Stapleford, Rochford, Detling, Rochester, and even Hawkinge. So it's quite a wide sector. It was an airfield in the First World War. So some of you may know it was originally called Sutton's Farm Aerodrome. And it had particular fame because the first German airship, an SL-11, was shot down by um, Lieutenant William Leif Robinson in the First World War. So it had a lot of fame in, uh, from the First World War. It closed just after the First World War. And it reopened in 1928 as RF Hornchurch. And that's when a lot of these substantial buildings took place. The office's mess still exists. And uh, unfortunately, we're not in that building. We're in a different house, the actual Heritage Centre. But the airfield closed in 1962 after the war. And it uh, was subject to gravel extraction. And more recently, it became a country park. So there's very little parts of the airfield still left. Mainly it's uh, buildings, residential buildings from the airfield. And we've got one pen left, which is now the car park for the country park. But that's a very kind of brief history. So obviously an airfield of great historical significance when you start listening to all the things that happened there. I mean, is it a sector station? Made it obviously a quite a target during the Battle of Britain for the Luftwaffe. Yes, it was. And famously, Hornchurch was bombed several times. One famous episode when 54 Squadron were taken off to intercept the enemy and uh, Aldir, who was at 54 Squadron, famously took off. And as he was taken off, the bombers were falling around him and uh, his aircraft actually cartwheeled and crashed and uh, he managed to crawl out from underneath. But yeah, it was subject to a lot of attacks. He did have the uh, operations room at Hornchurch, but that subsequently got moved as a later stage. But yes, it was definitely a target, no doubt about it. You know, people like Aldir, you know, some famous names have operated from Hornchurch in the past. Yeah, very famous names. I mean, uh, another one is uh, Eric Locke, 41 Squadron pilot, shot down 26 aircraft, and he was the most famous Battle of Britain pilot during that period. Subsequently, he died the following year at the age of 22, very young age. But other famous names, Douglas Bader was there for a short period. Bob Snapford Tuck was there. He was with 65 Squadron before the war. Other famous names, such as uh, Brendan Paddy Finucane, or Finucane, as he's subsequently known. So lots of different fighter pilots have been there over the years, yeah. And as you see, going back even further to the Royal Flying Corps days, the pilot who uh, shot down the, the first Zeppelin. Yes, yeah, William Leaf Robinson, very famous. He actually uh, won the VC for his bravery doing that, and he was given the freedom of all church. After he shot that down, two other pilots with his squadron, which was Tempest and Sowery, they shot down two further Zeppelins within the space of a few weeks, and it effectively broke the back of the Zeppelin campaign over Britain. So we've got much to be uh, proud for at Hornchurch, yes. And obviously it would be a case of uh, location, which made Hornchurch such an important base in the First and the Second World War. Yes, it is. I mean, basically Hornchurch, was a, it was basically a farmer's field when it was um, taken over by the air ministry in the First World War. But it was a flat area of land. It's very close to the River Thames, and it was ideal for taking off and intercepting an enemy which were coming down the Thames. So that really made it an ideal location for defending London from aircraft coming down the Thames. And even today, it's quite a handy location looking at the map of uh, how people can get to you or 
you're quite an easy place to get to. Yes, I'm glad you've mentioned that. <laughs> Obviously, we do try and promote the new heritage centre as much as we can, but basically it's at the end of the district line. So anyone can get to it from central London. All you've got to do is go into central London, get on the district line, take the train that takes you to Upminster, and we're just one or two stops down the road from Upminster. But if you come out of Hornchurch Station, the TfL station, turn right, it's about half a mile down the road. So it can't be missed. It's also easy to get to because we're not far from the M25. So anyone coming to Hornchurch, we're just a few miles within the M25 and they can access it there as well. Yeah. So what could somebody expect to see if they come along? Okay, well, clearly we're not a big airfield like Duxford and we haven't got uh, lots of aircraft or any runways or anything now. But what we have got is quite a few artefacts from the battle. One of our artefacts is a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine. It's a Mark III engine from a hurricane which crashed. It's a bit of a sorry state, but it's quite a good example. We've also got, well, we're delighted to have the uniforms, medals, and personal effects of Brendan Paddy Fanukan, the famous pilot. So these are his uh, uniforms. We've got his number one service dress, his number five mess kit, medals, pipe, and lots of other paraphernalia. And this was on display at the Royal Air Force Museum Hendon for many years, but it's now on display at our centre. One of the reasons for that is that our vice president is Brendan Fanukan QC, who is his nephew. So he graciously uh, allowed us to have the uniform display. Our president is actually Sir Ian Duncan Smith MP, who many people will know. His father was Wilfred Duncan Smith, famous fighter pilot, and uh, wing commander who headed up 64 Squadron at Hornchurch. So there's some of the artefacts. We've also got a slipper tank, which is a 90-gallon reserve tank that would have gone underneath a Spitfire. We've got lots of artefacts relating to many, many British and German crash sites. We have an ejector seat. We've got a Lancaster bomb site, bomb computer, bomb panel, lots of models. So lots of it is paraphernalia relating to Ira Horn Church. So we like to bring a lot of local history there. We've also got one of the first air-to-air missiles, which is outside. That hasn't gone on display yet. And in the near future, we hope to display an Anderson air raid shelter and a Tet turret, which some of you may know is a small one-man turret for ground defence, which is buried in the airfield. So quite a few things to see. It's not going to be a huge museum as you would expect with a large museum like Duxford, but it's it's about 10 different rooms to see. We've actually recreated the officer's mess as well as we can, and in there there are period bits and pieces such as a gramophone, older RF wireless. We've also got a home front room. So in total, about 10 different rooms to see, and uh, it's well worth a visit. Many people say that just walking around for two hours just isn't enough, and um, as a result of that, we say, well, why not become a member? And for £20 a year, you can actually come to our Reformed Church Heritage Centre as many times as you like. One more plug. <laughs> we also have a tea room and patio, so people are quite welcome to join us to have refreshments there after their visit. So what sort of people do you get coming through the door? As you say, it sounds like quite a local um, sort of museum. You know, yes. People come in to find out what happened in the area. Um, we get quite a range of people, really. Certainly, we get a lot of local residents. One of the things we do get a lot from is local schools. So we're very keen to promote local history. We've contacted all of the local primary schools in the borough, of which there's over 60. And even this week, we've got five full walk days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all through to Friday, of school visits. And they're coming here to learn about the Second World War, the First World War, learning about the home front, and most importantly, to learn about local history in the area. And it's really going down well. The schools love it. They get the opportunity to see real uniforms. We've got several mannequins on display. And they actually get the chance to try on things such as battle dress, a uniform, and also flying helmets from the Second World War. So 
they really get the feel of it and uh, it's really good. But I would say school visits are very good. We also get visits from adult groups, so retired groups, youth organisations. We've had Cub Scouts. We get the Air Cadets come along where I'm an officer down there as well. So I've got an active involvement there. But I have to say, it's probably a wide range of people. We never seem to be surprised at different kinds of people that come in. What's the sort of best day for someone to come along? When are you open? Right. That's a good question. Basically, at the moment, we're open at weekends. So it's Saturday and Sunday from 11 o'clock till 4 o'clock. We're only open during the week, Monday, Tuesday to Friday, for booked visits. So if people want to do a booked visit, if they've got a party of 15 or more, we're happy to do a booked visit at a very reasonable £5 a head. And um, we'll take them around and give them a guided tour. So at the moment, it's only weekends, Saturday and Sunday. But given time and with more volunteers, we hope to be able to extend that to uh, further days during the week. How many people have you got volunteering for you at the moment? Never enough, I probably would say. We've got eight trustees and we've probably got a small army of about 15 to 20 volunteers who give up their time freely and uh, come along. And if anyone who visits our museum has an interest and would like to get involved, we'd love to hear from them. So we're open to anyone who wants to come along and take part. There's a wide range of activities, as you can probably guess, from being at reception, working in our kitchen, helping with the garden out the back, or showing people around. There's a wide range of different activities people can do. And uh, we often say to people, if you're not sure, come along, shadow what we do, and uh, you'll soon build the confidence. But it's one of those things, if you want to get involved and you like that kind of thing, if you're interested in aircraft or even history, do come along. And where did your involvement come from? What got you in, into the church? Well, the actual RF Hornchurch Heritage Centre, it dates back to the early 80s when it was originally the RF Hornchurch Association. Now, around that time, a local caretaker by the name of Ted Exel realised that the local public house, to Good Intent, which is a, a local pub near the airfield, they were throwing away lots of artefacts and bits and pieces relating to the airfield. And he thought, hang on a minute, something needs to be done here. Now, whilst he was ex-army himself, he did have a great interest in trying to keep the memory of the airfield and the pilots and the, the ground crew alive. So he set up the RF Hornchurch Association. At that time in the early 80s, he actually had contact with lots of pilots from the war who were still alive, and they graciously came along, gave their time up, and visited the mobile exhibitions that he did. Ted always wanted to have a more permanent museum, and it was quite sad that he never got to realise a permanent museum in his lifetime. My involvement came when he used to have exhibitions on the go. He frequently had exhibitions at our Air Cadet Squadron. As an adult, young adult there, I would help him with some of the museums, some of the setting up the exhibition, I should say. And uh, I got involved in that. Tony Philpott, who's our current chairman, he got involved and he knew Ted well. And he, he effectively picked up the baton after Ted sadly died in early 2000. And he carried on through the Hornchurch Aerodrome Historical Society. I've known Tony for many years. We met up again recently when he had a recent exhibition over Hornchurch Country Park. And by chance at that time, two people came along, which was uh, John Donovan and David Goldstein two other trustees, who actually knew Brendan Finucane, Finucane, the nephew, and mentioned that they knew the nephew of this famous fighter pilot. And uh, he came on board and it kind of snowballed from there. Brendan got in contact with Bellway because next to the airfield, there's a former hospital that's now closing, built at the same time as the airfield. And um, he spoke to them to see if they would uh, provide us with uh, a house or something, an old house. They did initially give us a house, but then it fell through. We subsequently did a business plan to Bellway, 
and they gave us one of the old houses, which was a former building used by the RAF. So the current site we've got at the moment is essentially two semi-detached houses knocked into one, and um, Bellway have given us the freehold. So at long last, Ted's dream to have a permanent site as a museum has now been realised, and the museum formally opened in September this year, when we were very grateful to have it opened by Air Chief Marshal Sir Michael Graydon, who came along. We also had a fly past by the Batterbrook Memorial Flight, the Mark 2A, P7350, and PZ865, the Hurricane, and they graciously did a fly past, which was absolutely fantastic. So it's now up and running, and um, full steam ahead from now on, we hope. Excellent. And by the sound of it, you've got a lot of really interesting exhibits already. I mean, you, you mentioned your Blue Room, which is the yes. sacrifice of the American pilot Raymond Draper, who crashed his Spitfire locally. Yes, that's right. I mean, people local to the area will know that uh, Sutton's school. Sutton Senior School, as it was, was subsequently renamed Sanders Draper in the memory of Raymond Sanders Draper. He was basically an American who was flying as a volunteer with 64 Squadron. And in 1943, he took off in a Spitfire Mark 9 from the airfield. He subsequently developed engine trouble and there had to return back. He couldn't make it back to the airfield. He noticed there was a, a field in front of the school where he could land, but noticing that the school buildings were quite close. He brought the aircraft in at a much steeper rate of descent than was safe for him to do so. And uh, he subsequently crashed just next to the school. So effectively, he sacrificed his life to save the school. His Spitfire actually ended up touching the school wall. And we've since met lots of pupils who were in the class at that time. And um, a lot of them have since passed and they remember it very well. I'm also pleased to say that we've got a very close relationship with the headmaster, Stuart Brooks, at the school, who graciously has lent us the school diary at the time, which actually details the actual events of the Spitfire crashing on that day. So Sanders Draper, a very local school, famously named after the pilots, is one of the schools we have most contacts with. But yeah, you mentioned the Blue Room. That's just one of the rooms. But yeah, we've got lots of things. I should mention we've also got close links with the famous film, The Great Escape, because Roger Bushell, known as the Big X, played by Richard Attenborough in the film, was actually a 92 Squadron Spitfire pilot based at Hornchurch. And Steve McQueen's character was based on a Canadian pilot by the name of Tex Ash, and he was also based at Hornchurch. So there's an obvious connection there with The Great Escape, which we like to uh, tell people about when they visit. Well, it keeps it all alive, doesn't it? I mean, everyone knows The Great Escape, but the links that go back to Hornchurch, maybe not so much. No, that's right. Certainly a lot of people come in and they frequently say, oh, I never knew that. There's also the famous Battle of Barking Creek, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, which was one of the first combats that took place involving Spitfires. And in fact, the Spitfires' first kill during the Second World War was actually a hurricane, which not many people know. Two hurricanes were accidentally shot down by uh, 74 Squadron. And um, the reason why I mention it is that Roger Bushell was actually the solicitor by trade, and he actually represented uh, John Freeborn, who's one of the pilots who shot down one of the hurricanes. So there's a kind of link back to the Battle of Barking Creek there as well, in a strange way. It's funny that everything is sort of seven degrees of separation, isn't it? You can sort of trace everybody back to certain things. Yes, there's so many links you see when people come there. During our opening, we were very honoured to meet up with a gentleman called Mike Bradbury, who is the cousin of Eric Locke. And uh, he's been telling us lots of things we didn't know. And it's so great to meet up with people. I think one of the great things about when you're helping to run a heritage centre like this is that you get to greet and meet lots of great people. Lots of people have got a link somewhere. They knew someone, someone here, there and everywhere. 
And indeed, because of the people that come in, we've actually got a separate room dedicated to Bomber Command. Now, a lot of people come in and say, well, hang on a minute. Why have you got a room representing Bomber Command? Because Hornchurch was a fighter command station and effectively nothing to do with uh, Bomber Command. And there's two reasons. One is one of our volunteers, Mike, his father was a bomber in Lancaster during the war. His mum was a WAF and they met during the war. His father subsequently bailed out of Lancaster over Germany and through the help of the French resistance, made it through to Spain to get back to Britain. So that's one reason. And he's got a great interest and brings in lots of things, memorabilia, and he's our expert on Bomber Command. But also, so many people walk into the Heritage Centre who've got a connection with Bomber Command, which isn't surprising because with 55,700 crews lost during the war, the chances are someone's going to be linked or know someone who's got a connection with Bomber Command and Fighter Command. And so, so many people come in and say, oh, my grandfather flew in Lancaster's or what have you. It's good to pay homage to those people. So, yeah, it's one of the things we do. Absolutely. I mean, so when you're putting together an, an exhibition, what is it that sort of you look for? Is it just local significance or is it something that just, you know, one of you are particularly interested in? Yeah. I mean, at the moment, we've basically tried to fill the Heritage Centre as much as we can with uh, lots of artefacts and all the bits and pieces we have. We're obviously trying to tell the story of uh, RF Hall Church and uh, Sutton's Farm before that. But we hope in time to add lots more bits and pieces. So, for example, the story of Dunkirk evacuation, the story of the British Expeditionary Force in France. These are other stories we wish to tell. And in the fullness of time, when the museum is, shall we say, full and bursting, we will hope to rotate some of the items. One thing we want to do, for example, is put on display a section relating to the 8th Air Force, the American Air Force. Again, nothing to do with Hornchurch, but the reason for that is we happen to collect a lot of artefacts from Blake Hall. Now, Blake Hall was a local museum in the area at Blake House, and there was a lot of artefacts on display there which have now come into our possession. There's also a very link, and I'm glad you mentioned all these different links, but two B-17 flying fortresses crashed nearby. They collided with one another, and um, all of the armaments from the crash and the dead bodies of those crew were brought back to Hornchurch. And... Um, Every so often we go to the local church in the area to uh, pay our respects and to do a small display for them. But by having a link to the Americans, that's another thing that we can bring into the museum. So whilst we do have a close link, and obviously we like to promote our reform church, we try and spread out to other bits of interest as well. But yeah. Well, as you say, it's local history, isn't it? I mean, you're keeping alive history that otherwise might be forgotten. Yeah, quite right. Quite right. I mean, it's so important to have that local history. and. Until now, Hornchurch was probably one of the only formal Battle of Britain stations that didn't have a museum. And when you see Biggin Hill, we have a nice museum, a great expense, I think the six million or something like that. We were very envious to have something like that. But fortunately, it's come our way. The property we have at the moment is probably worth in excess of a million pounds, which is great. And whilst it's not a huge museum, it's big enough at the moment. Certainly, we like to put as much information on display as we can. I think all too frequently when you go to some of these larger museums, some of the displays are, shall we put it, simplified. But we like to put as much detail as we can and try and make it as professional as we can. So having said that, we're always open to feedback. So when people do visit the Heritage Centre, we'll frequently say to them, what did you like best? Where could we improve? What would you like to see here? And in that way, by getting constructive feedback, we hope to make the experience an ongoing one, which gets better and better. Well, you say the more people you get through the door, the more feedback you get. And also, hopefully, the more local people will come forward with stories and artefacts that could go into the museum as well. 
Yes, I think you're right. I mean, certainly once you've got a heritage centre up and running, it kind of acts like a magnet in terms of pulling things in, which is fantastic. All too often we hear people say, oh, I used to have a relic like that. I used to have a uniform like that or I had something like that, but I threw it out. It went to the skip or something, which is very sad to hear. Certainly since we've been open, there's no end of people coming in with the offer of bits and pieces, old artifacts, anything relating to the Second World War. And because we've got a home front room, which focuses on the civilian life during the Second World War, they'll bring things in which may look like rubbish or something to someone, but actually it's something of historical value which we could put on display. Only recently, someone contacted us to say they had some woman magazines from the Second World War, and uh, they were great. We picked these magazines up, and they were in great condition. And it's just reading through some of these magazines. I, I took one home to show my uh, 88-year-old mother, and um, she was in fits of laughter reading some of the letters in the back where people were writing into the magazine during the war to say that they were making dresses out of their father's old jerseys and things. And so they're full of interesting bits and pieces. There's no end of information and bits and pieces out there, which we hope having the Heritage Centre open will act as a magnet to draw these things in. So, yeah, really good. Little things like that, you know, what the women were doing on the home front at the time, it's like that's all part of the war effort, isn't it? You forget, but actually there was a total war. Everybody was involved. Yes, yes. I mean, people don't realise this. I mean, obviously those people who were present or who had first account experiences of it, but even the, the children today, we had a visit by school this morning. When you explain to them that there were no toys, there were no toy factories because actually they were making armaments for the war effort and that children used to make things out of anything they could, you know, rubber bands, roll it into a ball, something to kick around. We've even got a makeshift scooter made out of wood and ball bearings. And we're showing them that people used to make dolls out of clothes pegs and things like this. But I think the children of today, sometimes they don't realise how hard things were for people then. And, you know, people have hardship today, which we understand and appreciate, but it's not on the same level as it was during the Second World War. But yeah, I think you're right. What did the school kids get out of the museum? What bits did you see them really enjoying? Oh, great thing. I mean, you'd be very surprised at how something very basic creates such a great interest. My colleague, Tony, will frequently say to the children, would you like to see a 1940s mobile phone? To which they uh, look with puzzlement until we get out a couple of tin cans and some string. And um, they have a go with this, listening, you know, listening down, get the string talked and speaking down one end and uh, listening at the other. And they actually get great fun out of things like that. We show them a 1940s iPad, which uh, is a slate and some chalk. And that brings a smile to their face. But it's in wonderment. You actually see a look on their faces of disbelief almost. But then you see their faces change when we start to talk about evacuation and evacuees. I'm explaining that people as young as four and five were taken away from their parents, split up sent to a strange part of the country, to a strange family they didn't know, and uh, just got on with it. Looking at their faces and seeing absolute amazement and things like that, that uh, brings it home to them. So they get a lot out of it. Certainly with the visits, we try to make them a real hands-on experience. So we'll give them battle dress to put on. So RF battle dress tunics from the late 50s and 60s. We've got a few of those. They'll put those on, dress them up. Today, we'll let them try on flying helmets and goggles to give them that hands-on experience. And I think if they actually do something physical or get involved, something kind of tactile, it all helps to restore that memory and it helps them to remember the day. Because at the end of the day, we're looking for these young people not just to learn about history, but to become future trustees for the charity when we're no longer here. Well, that's it. I mean, if you get a kid through the door now, you know, they get interested. They're the next generation, aren't they? 
Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, at the end of the day, through creating a charity, we've set put in place a kind of perpetual motion in the sense that you can't kill the charity. We're all mortals and we won't be here forever. But by getting that interest, we hope to get volunteers across a wide range. And in that way, we've got continuation of the charity and hopefully the memory of our reform church. How can people get involved now and help the charity? Is there anything you particularly need or hoping to achieve? Well, I guess um, as we've only got 15 to 20 volunteers, we're always on the lookout for a wide range of people. At the moment, there's quite a heavy reliance on some of the trustees who are retired to put in a lot of hours. And that's fine and we enjoy it. But just to ease that pressure, we're looking for people who've got experience, knowledge of the war, knowledge of aircraft. But I'd even say to people, you don't necessarily have to have that knowledge. As long as you've got the interest, we'll teach you, we'll give you books and things and uh, get people to feel comfortable. But there's also things such as some gardening to do. There's also painting and decorating. We are very heavily reliant on our tradespeople. For example, our display cabinets in the Battle of Britain room, the glass display cabinets with mannequins in, were actually fabricated from bifolding doors from uh, someone's extension. So <laughs> these are items we bought on a certain bidding website <laughs> quite cheaply. And we've got tradesmen who will work hard to make these things up. So if you're good with your hands in terms of woodwork or mechanical, we're always on the lookout for people. We had a problem with our boiler the other day and um, to have a volunteer come in who's an expert on heating was great. So if you've got some knowledge, some expertise, at the end of the day, if you've got enthusiasm, we can direct it in a way that will help the museum. Yeah. So it's not about the money. It's about people coming together to, to make something, isn't it? As you say, you, you yeah, think quite right. a box and it, you know, you, if you want something, you make it work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not about money. At the end of the day, obviously, you need money to make the world go around. We've got to pay our bills. So money is always important to get it through the door. But at the end of the day, if you've got an interest, that's great. Come along. Enthusiasm is very important. And the people we've got coming at the moment, it's great. You actually create quite a nice social group. And we hope that in the fullness of time, the Heritage Centre will become a social hub for the area. As I say, we've got a tea room and people are quite welcome to come along, have tea, cream teas, cakes, um, sandwiches, that kind of thing, and just visit whenever they want during the weekend. So they don't have to go around the museum as such. It becomes a focal point for people to meet as well. And you do charge for the entry to the museum, but it's not a great deal, is it? I think it's quite a reasonable £5. That's right, yeah. Certainly when we set up the charity, the Charity Commission are quite keen that places like heritage centres and museums are open and available to the public, regardless of income. And at the moment, it's £5 per adult, £2.50 for a child above five, up to 16. A family ticket is £15, and that's two adults and three children. And we feel that's quite reasonable, really. And for £20, people can become an annual member and that gives them access to the Heritage Centre throughout the year at any time we're open. And for £150, they can become a life member, whereby they can come as often as they like for the rest of their life. And we think that represents a good deal as well. Yeah, it's not an awful lot of money for a lifetime's experience. And your exhibits will continue to grow and change, so there'll always be something new to see. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, certainly... We wouldn't want people to come in one day and say, right, well, I've seen the museum, I've seen Heritage Centre, there's nothing more to see. We hope in the fullness of time that we actually rotate exhibits. So some things will have a permanent display on all the time, such as Battle of Britain, of course. But we hope to rotate things. One example is that we've had someone in touch who knows a great deal about the Special Operations Executive or the SOE. So in the fullness of time, for example, we hope to have a display on SOE. We've got another member who's very keen on the Home Guard. Again, we hope to have another display on the Home Guard, but there's lots of small exhibitions we can do 
which we feel will bring the interest in and say, look, there's something new. We do have a Facebook page. We have a website and we publicise things that are going on there. This weekend, on the 4th of December, for example, we've got a heritage bus route and that's running bus service from Perfleet Heritage Centre to Lakeside to the RF Hall Church Heritage Centre and that's on wartime buses and that's going to be running throughout the day on Saturday, the 4th of December, that this Saturday. Even if people aren't able to attend that one, we hope to have future heritage bus routes running in the future so that people can actually jump on a bus and go between different heritage centres at a reasonable cost. And the best way for people to keep in touch with what's happening, would that be your Facebook page? Yes, it's Facebook. So if anyone goes on Facebook, just look up Hornchurch Aerodrome Historical Trust. If you put that in the search for Facebook and you'll get our Facebook page come up, I should add that that's the name of the registered charity. The actual Heritage Centre is called RF Hornchurch Heritage Centre. So a bit of a mouthful, but uh, just to explain the difference. Excellent. I mean, I'd definitely be paying a visit at some point. I'm sure we'll come down and do something for the magazine, but it'd be a a nice wander around and see what you've got. Yeah, and you'll be very welcome down there. We'd like to see you and uh, we'd love to have an article in Flypast at some stage. I'm sure we can make that work. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I think that's a good place to leave it. So thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks, James. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.